That's it. Where quality of life matters, that is Dawson County's phrase, which we all are very aware of, apparently. (laughs) So now if you don't live in Dawson County, you're off the hook. Those of you that live in Dawsonville, you are on the hook for that one. So I I decided to kind of do an experiment just this last week to see how true that really is. And uh, so I went to where truth can be found on Facebook. And I started watching Facebook. Specifically, if you aren't on Facebook, just roll with me for a little bit. But there's a Facebook group called Focus on Dawson. And that's where people can say whatever they want, as long as it has something to do with Dawson County. And I'm thinking, man, this is Dawson County. My wife, my family, and I moved here because God called us to where quality of life matters. And I'm watching the Focus on Dawson Facebook page. And I just want to highlight a few of uh, the statements. Now, I'm not going to put these in the, the actual statements. I categorized them. And most of them were in the form of a complaint. Most of them, believe it or not, I know, shocking that Facebook would have complaints on it. And so I put it into categories of the different complaints. The top complaint I saw on Focus on Dawson had to do with traffic. Traffic. And that could be traffic just sitting in traffic. I saw so many pictures of people taking pictures while in traffic. I'm like, well, you're probably part of the problem if you're taking pictures complaining about traffic. Uh, So a lot about traffic. That was specifically about, like I said, sitting in traffic, the roundabouts, A lot of complaints about the roundabouts and still complaints about the new interchange, the new intersection, complaints about certain bridges being closed for a really long time, different complaints all having to do with traffic. Construction was kind of in there too, the construction on traffic. I also saw a lot of complaints about our town getting bigger. And whether you agree or disagree, but there is just a lot of, man, I can't believe this is happening, or I can believe this is happening. A lot of complaints about our town is getting bigger. A lot of complaints about just waiting, a lot of, I went to a restaurant and I had to wait. I went through a drive through and I had to wait. It was a lot of just waiting complaints, mainly dealing with restaurants or some type of a food service place. I had to wait a long time. But the number one complaint that I saw, now you didn't know the catchphrase of Dawson County. Let's see if you could guess the number one complaint of all of Dawson County. Windstream, yes, the internet. Yes, we all know that one. We all know that one. You know, it's the number one complaint, and it's even funny, you get people that are moving into the area already complaining, and they haven't even moved here yet. There's a lot of complaints about Windstream. Now, when you think about the complaints specifically within our county, I mean, those are pretty typical just nationwide. As Americans in our country, we complain a lot about waiting and traffic, even internet. Even if you have fast internet, it's never fast enough. Or you go to a place that has free internet, and you complain because it's not fast enough, but at least it's free, but still it should be faster. We complain about a lot of things, even to the point of complaining about other people that complain to us. Do you ever find that? You find yourself complaining, man, I wish this person would stop complaining. And I'm complaining about that other person. We complain a lot. We complain a lot. We complain so much, in fact, we probably don't realize how much we truly complain. You can trace complaining all the way back to Genesis. You don't have to turn there. Let me just show you this real quick. Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned. They ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. God comes into the picture, finds Adam and says, Adam, what have you done? And I love this. He answered, this is, uh, this is what Adam said. He said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. So the, one of the very first moments of sin, the, the first thing that humanity does is blame and complain. We are really good at complaining. In fact, our brains almost get hardwired where that's what our natural response becomes. It's easy to complain. It's so most of us probably complained before we even got out of bed. The alarm went off, and what did we do? I don't want to get up. Complaint. 
The alarm goes off, it's still early. Complaint. You walk outside, it's humid. You live in Atlanta, Georgia area. Of course it's humid in August, but we complain about anything and everything. It tends to be a first and even a natural reaction. We are in many ways programming and reprogramming our minds to first complain. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, read the Bible, work hard and honestly, and don't complain. Great advice. Great advice. And the reason that's great advice is because complaining contaminates our soul. Complaining will contaminate your soul, but also those that are around you. The more we complain, the less we know we're doing it. That's the problem with this. The more we complain, the less we know we're doing it, and the more we're contaminating our own soul, but also those around us. So I know none of us have any problem. Uh, we don't have a problem with complaining. I know that. But for your friend, we're going to talk about complaining. So when you go back and you can talk to that friend that complains a lot, you can give them some good scripture that'll help them stop complaining. Because we don't need it. I know you don't need it. So this is purely just for your friend. Can we all agree on that one? Deal? All right. So I know you don't need it, but just indulge me. We're going to record it so you can share this with all your complaining friends and you can tell them your pastor said stop complaining. So if you got your Bibles, head over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, there's a famous verse here where scripture actually tells us not to complain, but I want you to see the before and the after of that as well. Because it's not that helpful for me to just read the scripture that says, don't complain. We need to see and hear the beginning parts of that, what Paul the writer here is, is talking about before he actually gets into the command of do not complain. Now, keep in mind here, uh, the letter we looked at last week, we read out of Ephesians, he was in prison. Paul is also in prison when he's writing to the early church of Philippi. So keep that in mind. As Paul writes this, he's writing from prison. Here's what he says to the early churches and also still to us. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If you're taking notes, if you want to underline what pleases him, we're going to come back to that. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without, and here it is, the famous verse, verse 14, do everything without complaining. That sounded like a complaint the way you just said that. <laughs> do all things without complaining. That sounds better, doesn't it? Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life then, and on that day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Verse 17, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering or a drink offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Last verse, yes, you should, and what's this word here? Should what? Rejoice. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Seven short verses, and Paul briefly, but man, in, in a very well-rounded argument, says not just don't complain, and everything, you shouldn't complain, don't argue, but he actually lays out the argument of, of why. And that's what I hope you, you pay attention to, is the why behind the what. Okay, we're not supposed to complain. I think we would technically all agree with that. But why? And if we don't really come to grips with the why in Scripture, we're never really going to take it to heart and begin to follow through with that. But we have to ask the question, is this like a, 
an, an all statement. I mean, it does say everything. It says do everything without complaining. So is there really no situation, there's no time, there's no circumstance where I'm allowed to complain? I mean, isn't complaints how things get done? Isn't when I complain, that's how people know and and it's able to get fixed? Because there's a lot of wrong in the world. I need to complain. If we don't keep complaining about Windstream, surely it's never gonna get fixed. We have to complain, right? We need to complain. We, We find reasons to complain. So let me help you see a biblical example of complaining. Both of these are gonna be complaints, but I want you to see how they're very different. And this will put it in context of what Paul's really referring to when he says, don't complain. Here's what we see here. Psalm 142, one and two, here's what scripture says. I cry out to the Lord, I plead for the Lord's mercy. Verse two says, I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. So you have here David, and he's in a very tough time. He's actually, he wrote this psalm while he was hiding away in a cave, running for his life. And he says, I'm pouring out my troubles. I'm pouring out my complaints to you, God. I pour them out. If you keep reading through the rest of Psalm 142, you'll see that he's asking God, God, I need you to help me. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to rescue me. So you have a great example of David bringing his troubles, bringing his problems, bringing his complaints to God and saying, God, I cannot do this without you. See there, David's complaints actually drew him closer to God. His complaints actually came to God and said, I have to have you. You, can't, you have to be the one to help me with this. Notice he wasn't complaining about God. He was bringing his complaints humbly to God. He says, I laid them before you. I poured out my complaints before you. Saying, God, here's what's going on in my life. I need you. Now, what Paul's referring to is quite different. There's a quote that says, a complaining tongue reveals an ungrateful heart. That's really what he's getting to. And we see that also in scripture. So one, Psalm 142, you have a great example of complaining, but bringing it before God. God honors that. He appreciates us bringing our troubles to him. But in Numbers chapter 11, we see something very, very different. The Israelites had just gotten out of Egypt because they complained to God. God, we're slaves in Egypt. You need to save us. You need to rescue us, deliver us. And so God does, brings Moses, brings them out of Egypt, and now they're wandering around in the desert. Well, they get to this point where they are now complaining that they're in the desert and actually wish to be back in Egypt as slaves. So here's what God did. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Soon the people began to complain about their hardships, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, as he, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. See, this is a great, parents, this is a great passage of scripture for your young kids. Don't complain, God will burn you up. Please don't repeat that. <laughs> no, but understand the severity of, of how God deals with the Israelites here. They're complaining and whining. Oh, we, we wish we were back in Egypt. We don't want to be free. We would rather be slaves. At least we had some food to eat. They're complaining. And God's like, oh, no, you're not just about to go there. You complained. I rescued you. I did what you asked. And, and you're complaining that I did what you asked. Oh, that's not going to hold up. God says, I'll teach you a lesson about complaining. So he sends fire down and burns up the outskirts of, of the Israelite camp. Now, what's interesting, if you were to keep reading, it's fascinating to read the history of the Israelites. They didn't learn a lesson. They actually kept complaining. And so they said, well, we don't have enough food to eat. And so God said, fine, I'll give you, do you remember what this word was? This bread that came, came, yes, manna. So God said, okay, fine, I'll give you bread. Every single morning, I'll provide for you. I'll give you manna. And then the Israelites were thankful, but then they started to complain. Well, all we have to eat is this manna. We want something else to eat. 
That sounds like lunch at my, my table. I don't want this. Well, this is what we cook for you. Just eat it. They kept complaining. We want meat. We wish we were in Egypt again. And so let me just read this. This, this will give, give you a good context as far as God's sense of humor in Numbers chapter 11. If you were to keep reading through this, God finally says, fine, fine. He tells Moses, this is what you need to tell him. I will give them meat. But then he specifically says, he says, now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. God is a good dad. He is a great dad. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? You see the difference between those two complaints? One shows trust and a desire and a desperation for God. When David said, I'm laying my complaints out before you. I can't do this on my own. God, you have to help me. Versus the Israelites that we see in Numbers chapter 11 where it's, well, we don't like this. <laughs> you see the big difference there? It, it focuses on the attitude of our heart, the posture of our heart. David came before God humbly with fear, with reverence, and brought his troubles and his complaints to God and said, I need you to help me. The Israelites gave a very had a very different posture of, well, we're just not happy. We don't like what you're doing. We want this instead of that. It shows a lack of gratitude, no thankfulness whatsoever. It shows we really just want what we want. And God does not honor that complaint. So understand that, that context there. Am, am I telling you we can never complain about anything? No, let's do it with the right posture. When, when Paul writes to early church, he's saying, do everything without complaining and arguing, referring to how the Israelites complained and argued and grumbled and whined while they were waiting to get to the promised land that 40 years in the desert. So what we're going to look at through this passage that Paul writes, we want to look at what are the right postures, what's the right attitudes in regards to complaining. Because yes, of course, I mean, there are times where constructive criticism and a, a well-intended complaint can be beneficial, but I would say, according to scripture, men, we really need to err on the side of not. Do everything without complaining and arguing. So here's kind of our three postures, our three attitudes that we see out of Philippians in regards to complaining. The first is doing what pleases God may require doing things you don't really want to do. Doing things that please God may require you to do some things you don't really want to do. And we know that when we don't really want to do something, our reaction tends to be complaining. When we get handed a task, when we are given an order, when there is a request or a favor given to us, and then we, we take it, well, I don't really want to do it, but I'll do it, we tend to then do what we're asked of, but with complaining, with complaining. I had you underline a verse if you're taking notes in that first part of the passage. Before Paul even says, do everything without complaining, goes back, verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases. Do you remember who? Him. It's about pleasing him. It's not about pleasing us. So when God says, be obedient, grow in your obedience, and even he says here, work hard to show the results of your salvation, what that means is when we're saved, notice we're not saved because of our obedience, but because of our salvation, saved by grace, because of that salvation, we work hard to then be obedient. Obedience is a result of our salvation. And so we're, we're trying our best to do what pleases him and doing so without complaining. But you gotta get that, in, that turned around in your head. It's not about pleasing me. It's about pleasing him. It's whatever pleases God. We have uh, 
like probably most of you do, different bedtime rituals and routines. And in our house with our three little kids, we always read a book before, or at least a couple books before we go, go to bed. And we always give the kids the option, hey, go and pick out a book, come back and we'll read it. Now, I, I, it's either my wife and I, we kind of argue on who gets to be the one to read this. The other one gets to go and take a break by cleaning the dishes downstairs. The other one is stuck doing bedtime stuff. And I we fight over that. Isn't that sad when you start fighting over who gets to do the dishes at home? But it happens. And so I tell my kids, all right, go get your book, whatever your book you want. And, and as I say that, I'm, I'm in my mind praying, please don't be that same book. Please don't be that same book. Please don't be that same book. And guess what they bring back? The same book. So let me show you our well-worn book that we have been reading forever. Some of you that are sentimental, you're like, oh, that's so sweet. You don't have to read this book every single night. All right, so I don't want to hear... I'm not complaining, of course. That's not a complaint. I'm just (laughs) stating the facts. But this is The Little Mouse, The Red Ripe Strawberry, and you have to say it like this or I have to reread it, and The Big Hungry Bear. Yes, you're welcome. And we read this book over and over and over. (laughs) Like, I literally have it memorized to the point where I can just, in my sleep, I just, and here we go. Hello, little mouse, what are you doing? Oh, I mean, I could read the whole thing. And it's great. Yes, of course. I mean, it's great that my kids love it, but I have to get in my head as a dad, okay, this is not about pleasing me. It's not what I want to watch. It's not what I want to read. It's not what I want to do. It's, okay, what's, what is going to please my kids as they get ready for bed? And, and sure enough, it's always that book. And so what do I do? Do I say, no, I'm never reading that book again? I feel like it, but no, I don't do that. Say, okay, because this is what you picked. This is what you wanted. I'm going to let you pick. I'm going to let it be about you. I will read this book yet again. And when they say, can you read it one more time? Sure. Would you read it again? No, that's the limit. But we keep reading that one. Understand it's what pleases God. And yes, when we go through his word, there is plenty of scriptures where we could say, man, I wish that wasn't in here. I wish God didn't ask me to do that. I wish that wasn't one of the commandments. But it's not about pleasing us. Understand, God is gonna ask us to do things we don't necessarily desire to do or want to do. But Paul says, hey, it's about him. It's what pleases him. And so we need to get in the the mindset of it's him, not me. So I'm gonna do what he requires. I'm gonna be obedient with what he's asking without complaining, without complaining. Next one, here's a question more, but it helps with our attitude and our posture. It says, do your thoughts, words, actions, and attitude give the best possible glimpse of Jesus? Now, that's thinking in a second. Do your, personally speaking, does my thoughts, my words, my actions, my attitude, does that give other people the best possible glimpse of Jesus? Because what What Paul writes here, when he says, do everything without complaining and arguing, that's the first part of the sentence. If you go back and read it, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Then there's a comma, not a period. He continues his thought in verse 15. So that, and that so that is, in other words, here's why. Here's the reason why, the why behind the what. Here's why we shouldn't be complaining and arguing, because no one then would criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. In other words, he said, you should be, look, think, talk different than the rest of the world. We as believers in Jesus, if Jesus lives in your heart, if you have the Holy Spirit in you because you are saved by his grace, then we are a new creation, scripture tells us. And that new creation means that we act differently. If you lined up a Christian with people that are non-Christians, Physically, 
They're going to look the same. There's nothing that's physically going to look different. But when you have a conversation with them, when you hear from them, yes, there most certainly should be a difference. And as believers in Jesus, we're saying, okay, my job is to lead other people closer to him. My job is to, is to tell other people about Jesus, to let them know how he changed my life. And if all I'm doing is complaining in every opportunity I'm given to complain, if I take that opportunity to complain, how am I being different than the rest of the world? Do your thoughts, do your words, do your actions, do your attitudes. Give the best possible glimpse of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, Paul says something that, that I would encourage you to write down. I, I hope we would all be able to say this. And this is a, not just a profound statement, but man, this would be a goal for all of us as believers. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can you say that to somebody else? Follow me as I follow Christ. If people followed you and did and thought, acted and had attitudes like you, would that be drawing them and leading them closer to Jesus or not? Follow me, follow my example as I follow Christ. We have to be, there's a phrase here, above reproach. That's in other words, it's setting the bar high. It's saying, okay, the rest of the world has their own standards, but as believers, I'm gonna live differently. And I'm gonna set the bar a little higher. And do I have the right to complain? Of course. Do I have reasons to complain? For sure. Should I? Do I need to? Is it beneficial? Is it helping lead other people to Jesus? I'm gonna set the bar higher, above reproach, so that no, what scripture said is so that no one could criticize you. Is your attitudes, is your behaviors, your thoughts and your actions leading people to Jesus or not? Does it give the best possible glimpse of Jesus or not? Raise the bar, be above reproach. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Just because we have the right doesn't mean that that is the right thing to do. Last one here, last attitude I want us to look at is if there is something to complain about, there's also something to rejoice about. If there's something to complain about, there's also something to rejoice about. And that's how Paul really ties up this thought. He says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. How can you rejoice even if you lose your life? Remember, he's writing this from prison. How could he make that statement? I will rejoice even if I lose my life because there's two ways to look at that. I'm dying or Jesus is using me. Both of those are very true. Which one do you focus on? Because one of those gives you every right to complain and be upset. The other one allows you to rejoice. See, Paul is saying, Whatever you look for, that's what you're going to find. If you're always looking for complaints, guess what you're going to find? Complaints, complaining, things to complain about. But if you're looking for things to rejoice about, guess what you're going to find? Things to rejoice about. We've all kind of seen, seen or at least heard this phrase where if you have a, a cup that is half full or half empty, depending on your personality, what would you say? What, what would you say? The, the optimist, if you're an optimist in the room, you would say that this glass is half what? Full. The optimist, the always positive, always looking on the bright side of things. Yes, this glass is half full. Now, the pessimists in the room, they would say that this glass is half empty. They focus on what's not there. They focus on the emptiness. The complainers in the room, oh, again, sorry, none of us, the complainer friends that we have, they would look at this and say, well, I don't like that cup. It's not full enough. It's too full. It's, 
It's not warm, it's, or it's too, too cold, too cold. It needs, it needs to be room temperature, or maybe, there's no ice in there. Send it back until I get ice, and not just regular ice, like the ice from Sonic or Chick-fil-A, that ice, it has to be that ice. Don't give me the cubed ice, give me that like, little pellet ice. That's the complainer, right? Now, those that are, are full of joy, like Paul here, who's explaining, man, those that are gonna rejoice, are gonna look for the things to rejoice for, that person is gonna look at this and say, I have cup and I have water, plenty to rejoice about. It's what you're looking at. Now, all of those would be true. Yes, it's half full. Yes, it's half empty. Yes, it's not very cold. No, there's no ice in it. No, the cup doesn't look that great. But yes, I have a cup and I have water, so I do have much to rejoice about. What are you looking for? There's always gonna be something to complain about. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life does not go our way all the time, every time. If you're looking for something to complain about, you don't have to look very far. There is plenty we can choose to complain about, but it is a choice because we choose how to look at that cup. We choose whether to focus on what we don't have or what we wish we had or what pleases me, or we could say, well, what pleases God? Because remember, it's, what about, it's all about him. What pleases him, not me? He says, even if my life is being poured out like a drink offering, I will still rejoice. Verse 18, yes, you should rejoice and I will share in your joy. If there's something to complain about, there's also something that we can rejoice about. Abraham Lincoln said something very similar. He said, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. What do you choose to pay attention to? It is a choice. Beyond just a choice, I would say it's an act of willpower. We have to will it. Because our minds have been from our sinful nature all the way to just how our, our natural tendency, we tend to complain first. So yes, it's not just a choice, but it is an act of will. It requires some, some mighty willpower to say, I'm choosing not to complain because I really want to and I really could and, and and I'd have every right and reason to, but I'm going to will it in myself that I'm not gonna complain, but I'm gonna find something to rejoice about. In my conversations, I'm going to make the choice to not give in to just what's easy like the rest of the world, but I'm gonna choose to rejoice and focus on what pleases God. It focuses on God, not me. I've heard the argument before, but Brian, if we complain, I mean, again, that's how things get done, right? The squeaky wheel gets the, yeah, gets the grease, gets the oil. There's technically two ways to fix a squeaky wheel. One of them is, yes, to grease it and to oil. The other one is just to get rid of it. Both fix the problem. <laughs> Sometimes the squeaky wheel, of course, gets the oil, gets the grease, but other times it just gets taken out, gets removed, gets replaced. Now, I'm not saying that that is how God treats us. But Numbers 11 is a good history lesson for all of us <laughs> to say, is he going to rain down fire every time we complain? I don't believe that to be true. But it shows us God's heart on the matter, doesn't it? He desires us to bring him our complaints. That's what David did. Go back to Psalm 142. We brought him our complaint. He brought him his complaint. He says, God, I need you. I have to have you in my life. I cannot make it without you. Versus the Israelites were just whining about what they wanted. Two totally different ways of approaching God. And God is very clear as he spoke through the Apostle Paul, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you'll be above reproach, so that when you lead other people towards Jesus, they're getting a good glimpse of Jesus just by following you. May we be different 
when the rest of, rest of the world has every right and reason to complain, we find every reason to rejoice. That makes us different. And it allows us to no longer be contaminated by our complaints. And you will find that the relationships that you have in your life, whether that is family, church, work, community, you name it, you will find a much healthier environment. All because we rejoice, choose to rejoice, instead of complaining. So I'm going to give you two things to do. One I'm going to have you do right now, and then one's going to be this week. So I'll give you a, kind of an in-class assignment and then a this-week assignment. Grab your worship guide again and open it up to this communication card. We did something similar last week. Um, and I always want you guys to give, give myself, my wife, our team, reasons to pray for you. And I, I would love for you to, to never leave church without giving someone the opportunity to pray over you or with you or for you. And so last week I had you write down some worries, some anxieties that you had so we can be praying for them. We did them specifically this last week. But I want you to do something a little bit different, if you will. Would you write down something that you can rejoice in? What's something that we can celebrate with you? And you might have to look really hard. Maybe it's been a rough week or a rough weekend and you're gonna have to look really hard at that glass because all you see is what's wrong. Find something. There is most definitely something worth rejoicing about something. And if you truly can't think of anything in your life, let's rejoice in the fact that Jesus died for our sins. We can always come back to that. And no, that's not the pastoral churchy answer. That is the answer. If we really have nothing else to rejoice about, let's rejoice in that fact. So right now, I'll give you just a few seconds. Write down something that you can rejoice about. What's something that as we're praying over you and for you this week, we can celebrate. Say, man, in a world that Man, it's falling apart, it feels like, and we can complain about a lot. I can still rejoice with this. Write down a word, write down a phrase. What can we rejoice with you as we praise God for? Choose to rejoice instead of choosing to complain. I want you to do that right now, and then at the very end of service, you can tear that off, drop it in the baskets as you leave. But I'm going to do one more thing for you. This is going to be for this week. Have you heard of rubber band reminders? Oh, yes. Now, some of you are going to take this to the extreme, and you're going to, like, snap your uh, rubber band every time you complain. I don't want my hand to hurt all week, so I'm not going to do that, but you're happy to do that. But I find that because we are, are programmed in a lot of ways to complain, we need to have something that's visual to remind us or else we're not going to remember this. In fact, you'll just complain that service went long today or something like that. So this is going to be helpful to remind us to keep it in front of us. In fact, research has shown in a typical conversation between you and a group of people or you and another individual, we complain once every minute. Yeah. Once every minute. And those could be major complaints all the way down to it's hot outside. Whatever the complaint is, research shows that in an average conversation, we complain once every minute. I'd be curious if we rejoice once every minute. There's so much to rejoice about. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you rubber bands as you leave, and I'm just writing Philippians 2. I'm going to write all shorthand. I'll do Phil 2, 14. On mine, just to remind me throughout the day, every time I look down, I'll be reminded, because we need reminders, what can I find to rejoice in instead of just looking for everything to complain about? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for all that we truly do have to rejoice about. Yes, in a world that has fallen, in a world like this, uh, we can always find something to, to be bothered by, something to complain about, something we wish was different. That's life. And we know life is difficult, and so you have given us specific instructions and the plan for how to be different how to go through life rejoicing and not just complaining. 
So God, I would pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help remind us specifically this week. Help us begin to reprogram our minds and our hearts and our thoughts and our attitudes to line up with you so that we can truly say with confidence to everyone that we interact with, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of you, Jesus. May we be great examples to other people in our lives and in the different work environments and our community to truly be ones that find ways and reasons to rejoice instead of just looking for the easy ways to complain. Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. We praise you and we thank you. In your name, amen.